how often do you deal with annoying people? Now, I don't want you to think at 10, 15, every Sunday I deal with an annoying person. It might be true. <laughs> but we all deal with annoying people in our lives, right? Sometimes we are the annoying people in other people's lives, but we all deal with annoying people in our life. What was one of the greatest things about being a uh, youth minister for so long is I got to watch kids grow from, from sixth grade all the way through their senior year in high school. And what's funny is you had these sixth graders that would come in. I remember this one girl, she would, she would go around and, and one day in, uh, in youth group, or probably not one day, it was like a few months of the time, she would bark at people and, and act like an animal. And then it was her junior, senior year, I remember her looking at the new sixth graders coming in and just shaking her head and said, why are they like this? I said, do you not remember when I had to pull you out from under a table because you thought you were an animal? It's funny. Some, hopefully we grow out of our annoyance phase. Some of us get it longer than others. That's all right, I guess. But we deal with people that are frustrating sometimes. And that's not uncommon to folks in the Bible as well. Matter of fact, uh, where we are today is, gives us a little bit of an idea of what it was like for Paul to deal with some annoyances, things that bothered him, and how he dealt with that. What's interesting is Paul is in Philippi, and we talked about that last week, uh, where Paul was first, he wanted to go up to Asia. I told you he wanted to go to uh, Istanbul or Constantinople or whatever it was called at the time. It wasn't called either of those two. Uh, Byzantium, I think, is what it, what it was called at that time. But God didn't want him to go there. God wanted him to go to Europe. As a matter of fact, when, God, when he gets over to Europe, when he gets to Macedonia, northern Greece today, he goes to this town called Philippi, and he's praying, I'm sure, for God to get, open doors, show him answers, and he does. God sends him to this place of prayer. He follows the Spirit, goes to this place of prayer, meets up with a lady named Lydia, who is a very wealthy person. She invites him into her home, him and all his people, and imagine she's funding their mission now. So they're in Europe and they have this great home base and people are responding to the gospel message. Everything seems to be going all right. And now Paul is going throughout Philippi. He's preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. But he's dealing with a little bit of an annoyance. And today we'll talk about that in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer... Remember, that's where he met Lydia. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit which, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So this is pretty interesting. This uh, girl, slave girl, walking around, 
being an annoyance to Paul, but as you see, Paul didn't tell her to, to leave. Paul told the Spirit to leave her. And these are kind of uh, stories that are hard for us to understand. These are the, when, when Luke writes this down in Acts, this is hard for us to understand because we don't typically deal with people that have demonic spirits in them, right? The closest I can think to something like that would probably be when I was working in, in downtown Dallas and I would take the train into work every day and you meet a lot of uh, interesting homeless folks at the train station and on the train. Uh, either their issues are drug use or some sort of schizophrenia or something and, and that I guess is, is, is what the closest thing that I would think that I'd see uh, too like a demonic spirit just something odd happening in somebody that couldn't really be explained of course I guess we can explain it through drug use or different things like that now Jesus was no uh, stranger to demonic spirits if you remember there's several times when Jesus met up with these uh, demonic uh, people people that were demon possessed and matter of fact, uh, some of them seem pretty scary. In Matthew 8, verse 28, it says, When Jesus arrived at the other side of the lake, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one would go to that area. And so when I think about people that are demon-possessed, people that have this demonic spirit in them, my initial thought goes to people like this that were, would cut themselves and people were scared to even go in the region they were. They're scary. Now, Jesus cast those spirits out into the pigs, and uh, I don't understand why the people were still scared about Jesus and wanted him to leave, but Jesus dealt with that. The spirit that Paul is dealing with isn't the same type of spirit, though. It's, she wasn't scary. Matter of fact, people wanted to go to this girl. They wanted to uh, go to this girl because she had... Something special, this spiritual gift, not to be confused with the gift of the Holy Spirit. She had this gift of fortune-telling, this gift of being able to tell the future. The NIV says that uh, she had a spirit which she pre predicted the future. The King James Version would say it's a spirit of divination or, this is my... A great word that I read this week, and I don't, I don't know if I've, I'm sure I've heard it, but I've never heard it used in regular terms. Soothsaying. Anyone ever heard that? Soothsaying. I guess that means to be able to predict the future. Fortune telling. English Standard Version says a spirit of div divination or fortune telling. But the Greek gives us a real idea of what this spirit was. Because the Greek calls it, and this is the only time this is used in the Bible, it says it was the spirit of Python. It's only used one time in the scripture that someone has the spirit of Python. And so what do y'all think whenever you initially hear the spirit of Python? Probably most of us have ever uh, seen uh, snakes in a... In a animal, what do you call those, a pet shop or something like that, a python snake. My roommate in college had a python snake that I didn't like. Uh, I stayed out of his room. He, he got sick one day. He tried to make me give it a shot, and he said, either you hold it or you give it the shot. I said, well, I'm not holding the thing. So anyway, 
If we're thinking snake, that's the right way that we're thinking because the spirit of python comes from something that's pretty interesting that we don't talk about in today's society, but they understood very well in their society. On my trip over to uh, Greece this summer, one of the places that we went to was the Oracle of Delphi. And in the Oracle of Delphi, I wasn't that excited to go there because there wasn't really any biblical uh, thing uh, linked to the place. And not that I don't enjoy going and seeing uh, pretty interesting sites around the world, but when I went on this trip, I did want to make sure that I got plenty of information and knowledge that I could use in, in sermons. This was a trip that I was supposed to learn about all the things about um, Paul's missionary journey. Paul never went to the Oracle of Delphi, Delphi. But what happened at this place gives a whole lot of insight to who this woman was who had the spirit of python. If you look up in the, in the right-hand corner, this is, this is a thing called a tripod. And the tripod is actually, you see this little twirly stick going up, up there. That represents three snakes, the spirit of python. Because in the oracle of Delphi, there was a woman that had the spirit of python in her. She was the oracle. And people would go up. They'd climb up to the top of, that, uh, of, this, of this mountain. You see that uh, on, the, on the top corner. It's a beautiful view. Um, below or, or is the largest um, olive grove in all of Greece. And above it is the oracle. And the oracle would go and she would be, uh, be kind of drugged up. There was some incense or something that they would, they would uh, always be, be burning. And she was drugged up. And, and these Caesars would go and talk to her. And Alexander the Great went and talked to her. And it's different ones all the time. Different people that have the spirit. And they would tell them about their kingdom reign. Or they would tell them about a battle that they were about to go into. And they would give kind of sketchy ideas of what it was going to be like. Like when Nero went to, to them, he, she said, uh, number 73 will be your end. And then Nero thinks that his reign will be until he's 73 years old, but then come to find out he's killed by a 73-year-old man early in his reign. This is the spiritual world that people are going to. And I guess uh, even our scriptures give some, some uh, credence to that there was a spirit that at least this one girl had. So she was saying the right thing. She was saying that Paul served the Most High God. She was saying he's the one that sh- he's showing you how you can be saved through this God. But Paul doesn't like what she's saying. Paul's annoyed by what she's saying because I don't think the people around that area understood who the Most High God was. Matter of fact, when people in the Greek culture would hear the Most High God, who are they thinking? They're not thinking the God of Israel, the God of of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, the one true God. They're probably thinking she's talking about Zeus, maybe Apollo. Fake gods. You see, Paul wanted them 
to not follow these demonic practices, not follow things that are not truth from God. Paul wanted the people to hear the message of salvation of Jesus Christ, a very real message of salvation where they can put their hope in Jesus and they can have eternal life. And it was so clouded by what Satan does to us so often. He clouds the truth, maybe by giving them some partial truth, but not the whole truth, not a truth that will bring eternal life, eternal hope. And so Paul wants to show who the true God is. And through the name of Jesus Christ, he calls that spirit out. You see, the owners of this slave girl were exploiting her for money. Their hope was in money. Their hope was in exploiting people so that they could live a nice life. And when their hopes were dashed, they weren't happy. It says in verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful, unlawful for us, Romans or Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. What you see up there is the marketplace in Philippi on the left-hand side. That's where they would go and they would do business. And that's where Paul would go and tell people where they could find out about God and where they could find salvation. On the right-hand side are the shops of the marketplace. And how interesting is it to think that one of these shops that you see on along the side was Lydia's shop. And in this shop where she dealt purple clothing or purple cloth, right? It funded the message of the gospel. One of these shops that we're looking at. But at this time in the marketplace, people were angry because they lost their hope and their hope were things of this world. Their hope was in money. Their hope was by exploiting people And so they wanted Paul to hurt for what he did. They wanted him to hurt because their hope was in things that are fleeting in this world. And instead of listening to the name of Jesus Christ, instead of listening to true eternal salvation, they chose to turn inward and be bitter and turn against Paul. 1 John chapter 2 says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the, father, uh, the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. What Paul was offering these people was salvation, was eternal life, was something that is never going to fade. And that's why he's saying it, all these things of this world, these possessions you have, the social status that you have, the job that you have, it's all fleeting, it's all fading away. And it's not from the Father because the Father we serve is eternal. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Our hope, our foundation is something that is eternal. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. Three days later, he was raised from the dead and we can be raised from the dead too. And this is what Paul is trying to teach people, that you're putting your hope in something fleeting, something fading. But the Father gives us a hope in something so much greater. And so it says in verse 24, or excuse me, verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, and when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Right there is the prison that they assumed that Paul was put in. That's, it, it's, it was a cistern, um, which would have been the deepest part of, of the city that they, they found, and that's why they assumed that that's where Paul was, was placed inside there. Paul and Silas are in the prison. They're in stocks. It couldn't have been comfortable... And I can imagine what would be going through my mind if I was put deep in a prison for doing God's work. Maybe my thinking is, why are you doing this to me, God? I'm trying to do everything I can, and yet I'm dealing with these struggles, these troubles. I was whipped, I was beaten. They were caned with rods across their back. Why would you do this to me, God? That's what I would probably be thinking. That's not what Paul was thinking because Paul had hope in something greater, had hope in something eternal. And so what was Paul doing? Paul and Silas were looking at each other singing, praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Right? That's what we sang this morning. We're going to sing that this afternoon uh, at 5 o'clock this afternoon. We're going to sing because we know we got watermelon coming. Paul had something so much greater than watermelon coming after he was singing. Paul had a hope and something eternal. You see, Paul had a faith and something incredible. I love how Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 defines faith. It says, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we will, what we do, and an assurance about what we do not see. You see, faith isn't just a belief that there's a God. It's a certainty that there is a God. It's a certainty that there is an afterlife with our God where he, when Jesus says He's going to build a place for us, we're going to be there one day. Those of us that put our faith in Him. That's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, yet whatever we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. John says in, uh, in Revelation, he says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. First Peter, who sees Jesus resurrected from the dead, who sees Jesus ascend up to heaven, says, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. 
Why were they singing praises to God? Praise God, give thanks to the Father and all that you say and do. Well, amen. Why were they able to do that? Why were the prisoners able to hear that? Because they knew they had something eternal, something great coming for them. Do we have that same hope in us whenever we're singing these praises to God? That's what we should know. We're not even sitting in jail cells in the dungeon. But that same eternal hope comes to us. But there was someone else that was there and was putting their hope in fleeting things. And this is the jailer. The jailer put his hope in his position. He put his hope in his strong prison cells. He put his hope in his government that's going to make sure that they take care of all the things that he has. And what happens in verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a violent earthquake And the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Saul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're here. And this is where they would think that the inner uh, prison was that Paul was sitting there. And he's just sitting there unbound, unbound. untied up to the to the stocks the jailer put his hopes in things that were fleeting in this world and he realized that his hopes were in things that were going to pass away and so he lost all hope and he's about to kill himself but paul has something better for him and the prisoners that are listening to them singing those praises and praying to god realize there's something better for us Maybe they were in prison for, for things that they did wrong, things that where they were putting their hope in, in wrongdoing, and Paul is showing them there is something so much better for them, something that awaits them. He says, don't do it. It says in verse 29, the jailer calls for lights. He rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember, Paul was teaching about salvation. The jailer obviously had heard these things. Their reply is something pretty simple. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. See, we have a God that calls us all to put our faith in Him, which might seem exclusive But the inclusivity of God, where anyone that wants to put their faith in Him is welcome. And that's why he's saying even the jailer that was probably beating them the night before now has the ability to be part of the kingdom of God along with his entire household. No one that wants to put their faith and belief in Him is left out. But remember, just believing in God isn't just saying, I believe in God, it's a faith that makes changes in your life. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And if we truly believe what we're confessing, our lives are going to change. And you see that happen with the jailer. You see before our eyes, his, uh, his entire life changes. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and the others in his house. At that night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them 
into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and his whole, he and his whole household. Right there is a baptistry from the oldest church in Philippi. Pretty cool little uh, crucifix baptistry right there. I loved seeing all the baptistries at the places I went. You see, the jailer heard that he needed to die to himself. He needed to be buried in the waters of baptism and risen just as Christ was risen. Risen with the Holy Spirit in his life. No longer a spirit of python in this world, but a spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells within him. He was able to change his life, and we see this change by no longer binding up innocent men, but washing their wounds and feeding them. The church grew another household that night. And the church is going to continue to grow in Philippi as we get this letter to the Philippians, and it's a wonderful letter. It's a letter of good news and a letter of being a great servant of the Most High God. You see, that same message to the jailer of the message of hope is available to you today or today. You can be washed in the blood of Christ through baptism. You can rise with Him. You can have a changed life and you can have that same eternal hope and you don't have to just think, well, maybe, maybe there's a God. Maybe, maybe there's eternity. But you can have a faith, the faith of Paul, the faith of Peter, the faith of John that knew for certain that Jesus is coming back just as He left. And He's coming to bring each of us here with Him. If you need help having a confidence in that faith, we can help you out today. If you need to be baptized into Him, we can baptize you. Whatever you need, please come while we stand and sing.